Please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Psalm chapter 19. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again and ask His help. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, indeed, as we have just sung, we pray that You would speak as we come to You to receive the food of Your Holy Word, that You, Father, would teach us full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Indeed, Father, would You speak and renew our minds. Would You help us grasp the heights of Your plans for us, acknowledging that Your truths are unchanging from the dawn of time that will indeed echo down through eternity. Indeed, Father, would you speak to us through your word and by your spirit as your people gather in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Here we are at week number 19 in an ongoing summer uh, series, seeing all of life as worship through the Psalms. The Psalms, prayers and songs of praise offered to God by Israel. It's been a hymn and prayer book for the church from the beginning. These songs are 150 songs divided into five books. Many think it's, a, it's to mirror the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. Even though these 150 psalms are diverse, they are unified as they are as we've been saying, centered upon the one true and living God, and as they express and help us to understand the divine human encounter. As you know, we're looking before us at poetry. In Psalm 19 today, many have seen as one of the finest examples of Hebrew poetry. And as poetry, it's tough to read quickly and walk away. No, we slow down. We, as it were, think about it, we pray through it, we meditate upon it, we, we bring to bear God's Word. Because as we read the Scriptures, as we read the Psalms by faith, we aren't just informed. We're not able just to go out and take some kind of content tech test on Psalm 19. No, by God's grace, by His enabling power, we will be transformed as we read by faith. We've been saying for the past few weeks that the church doesn't need exclusive psalmody, meaning only sing psalms, but by all means we need to sing psalms. And I believe our hymn of response will be a, a psalm um, that Isaac Watts has, has written um, to, to uh, take into account here, Psalm 19. The Psalms promote not just corporate worship here on the Lord's Day, but I believe as we incorporate them into our time with the Lord, they promote a worship, an all-of-life worship on Monday through Saturday as well. Here we are gathered before God's Word where our hearts and our affections need to be reoriented to God off of the false gods that beckon for our attention and allegiance and to be realigned by the truth, to bring it more and more into alignment to the Word of God. Psalm 19 is clearly a, a psalm of, of praise, a hymn of praise.
praise. We've had some before, kind of hymns of lament, psalms of lament. Here is a hymn of praise, a song indeed of of thanks. Now last week, for those of you that were here, we looked at Psalm 18, and it was challenging because of its length, 50 verses. Remember, it's a long psalm. Well, here Psalm 19 is challenging because of its depth. Only 14 verses, but as I believe we will begin to see, there is a depth and a richness, a, as it were, a, a well of wisdom of God's glorious truth that we can't even get to the bottom of. We will spend a lifetime benefiting from Psalm 19. Psalm 19, we will see, celebrates the glory of God in creation, and then it goes on to celebrate the glory of God in His law. We don't watch a whole lot of TV at the house. Uh, We don't have cable. We don't have satellites. So whenever we go on a trip and uh, we are able to see um, uh, home garden TV, HDTV. Anybody watch that? Well, there's a show called The Big Reveal. I've never seen The Big Reveal, but what I have seen is Fixer Upper. And every Fixer Upper has that, that climax to the episode of The Big Reveal. Remember, for those of you that may have seen it, the, 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 the uh, sketch of the old building is, is moved away and there before everyone's eyes is the new revelation, the new house that's been redone. Now, why do I bring Fixer Upper up? Why do I bring the big reveal up? Well, to help us acknowledge That Christianity is a revealed religion. It comes to us from the outside of us. It does not come from the inside of us. All other religions in the world are various aspects of, of, of some kind of faith or religion coming from within. No, Christianity is the big reveal. And in Psalm 19, God, we see, reveals himself both in his world and in the word. In just a moment, I'm going to read Psalm 19, but before we uh, begin, I want to make a few comments about the unity of God's big reveal, both in his word and in his world. There is no conflict between general and special revelation, nor can there be. An old commentator, H. A. Ironside says this, there is no conflict whatever between the testimony of nature and the testimony of the word of God. R.C. Sproul, the late uh, director and leader of Ligonier Ministries, among others, said that if we believe that there is some kind of conflict between general revelation and special revelation, there's a problem with us misinterpreting, misunderstanding either general revelation or special revelation. Revelation. C.H. Spurgeon, the great 19th century Baptist pastor in London, says this, He is wisest who reads both the world book and the word book as two volumes of the same work and feels concerning them. My father wrote them both. Nature, like scripture, points us to God, but is itself not God. C.S. Lewis, in speaking of the doctrine of creation, as we see expressed in Psalm 19, says this, quote, while it brings God and nature into relation, it also separates them. Because one of the hallmarks of 
Christianity is the creator-creature distinction. And many, many other world religions, even religions that are being practiced down the street from you, where you live, is that blurring of the creator-creature distinction. This idea that we, that nature somehow is God. So our approach to the text will be to unpack and explore God's revelation of himself through both the world and the word, and then we will consider man's proper response. Join with me as I read Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So let's first take a look at God's general revelation in nature, verses 1 through 6. Here the psalmist starts off, David, using creation language. It's a, an echo of Genesis 1. He speaks of the glory of God, God's power, His wisdom, His worthiness of honor and worship. It's interesting here that right at the beginning, the silent heavens are speaking. The silent heavens that don't audibly speak, nonetheless speak of the glory of God. I want us to notice some things about general revelation here. It is continuous day and night, 24-7, 365 days a year. God's general revelation is always ongoing, day and night, night and day. It is abundant, we see. It pours out speech. It reveals knowledge of God's power and goodness. We see in verses 3, there is no speech nor there are words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth. It is universal. He is using the heavens and the sky to, to state that God's 
glory, his creation is over all the earth. It is continuous. It is abundant. It is universal. And then suddenly in verse 4, toward the end, there's a sudden shift. In them, that is in the heavens, in the sky, the heavens that declare in the sky that proclaims God's handiwork, the power and majesty of God's creative design, there he comes and brings this image of the sun. In them he has set a tent for the sun. The sun will now dominate the scene for the next few verses. We read this, beginning in verse 5, which comes out, the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Here the sun is personified but it is not deified as in other ancient Near East religions of the day. There's not a sun god. No, there is the creator of the sun who has made the sun to run its course across the sky. And he's presenting two images, that of a bridegroom and that of a strong man, a warrior, a champion running its course. And when, when folks would hear the, the idea of a bridegroom that would be centrally the event that dominates a village. The bridegroom is coming out of his tent to meet his bride and to be joined. And the whole village would be aware of the bridegroom. And there's joy. And then this idea of the strong man, this idea of the warrior, who in Israel's day would be this, this man who is well trained and eager for battle. Who is ready to go and at the outset of the war is running with confidence and strength and with a joy into the battle. With this image of the son as a bridegroom and as a strong man, nonetheless, there is the son. And as we read in verse 6, its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Here, most commentators believe that there's a subtle introduction of what to follow. The role of God's Word. That nothing is hidden before God's Word. Well, here the sun gives off light and heat. And the heat can either warm or the heat can burn. This idea also of God's judgment as well. Nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun. Now the psalmist will now turn from God's revelation in creation in nature to God's revelation in scripture, his special revelation in scripture in his word. Now for those of you paying attention as the first 6 verses were read as you listened, you may have heard the word God, the name God mentioned. Yes, it was. Verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. Here, beginning in verse 7 through 11, you are going to hear seven times the covenant name of God, the Lord. Going from the God of creation to the Lord of His people. We will see words in these verses, nouns, adjectives, and verbs used in the titles, used to describe the character and make 
known the, re- the effects of the revealed Word of God. There are five or maybe six facets of this revelation that we see that aren't uh, sharply distinguished, yet each has a certain quality. They evoke or are designed to invoke, evoke intelligent reverence, well-founded trust, and detailed obedience. Listen now to verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord. Here's the Hebrew word Torah, which it's tough to translate just into law because it's wonderfully comprehensive. It's meaning all that God wants us to know about Himself. It's His instruction. It's His teaching. It's His law. It's His Torah. The law reflects the character of its author. As those of you that were with us when we studied the Westminster Shorter Catechism, especially the uh, Ten Commandments, we saw that the moral law reflects the character of the lawgiver. It reflects the character of the Lord. And here, the law, the Torah, is reflecting the character of the Lord. Now look at the titles with me. The law of the Lord. Again, a comprehensive term for God's revealed will. The testimony of the Lord. The aspect of its truth that is attested by God Himself. And we see that in several places in Scripture and Exodus. The precepts of the Lord indicate the precision and authority with which God addresses us. Look with me in verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Notice its commandment. Singular, not the commandments. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, think about James saying, if you're guilty of violating one part of the law, you're guilty of all of the law. The law is thought of as singular. The commandment of the Lord. The rules, or some translations say the judgments of the Lord. Judicial decisions that He has recorded as He interacts with His people. So all of these titles are are synonyms to emphasize the wholeness, the completeness of this law of the Lord, the Torah. Let's spend a moment now looking at the character of the law and the effects of the law. What does the law of the Lord do? Well, first of all, it's perfect. And in doing and being perfect, it revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is what is sure. It makes wise the simple. It's not only firm, but it's confirmed. The precepts of the Lord are right. And what does he say? That rejoices the heart. It's morally right. It's straight. The commandment of the Lord is pure and enlightens the eyes. And you have to think about that incident back in Samuel where uh, Jonathan tastes honey and his eyes are brightened. And his father saw had made that um, declaration that no one was to eat. And yet, Jonathan was hungry. He tasted the honey. His eyes were brightened. And the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. There's a sense of dependability. Within these descriptions of the law of God, the revealed will of God, in verse 9 we see the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. I believe that that is really already a response to the Word that's built into these descriptions of the Word. That 
the fear of the Lord, the holy reverence and awe before the Lord as a result of being exposed to and living with His revealed will. Notice in verse 10 that delight is expressed. The law of the Lord, the Torah, is desirable. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary says this, The psalmist wants to build up for you a total picture of Yahweh, that is the Lord, His covenant name. The total picture of Yahweh's true, reliable, soul-renewing, life-preserving, joy-inducing, energy-giving word that will hit you like a ton of bricks and make you say something like verse 10. And what does the psalmist say about the law, about the revealed word? More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. More desirable than the best riches. And we see that in Psalm 119, the largest, longest psalm over and over again. The desirability of the Word of God is before us. Not only is it more desirable than gold, the best riches, it is more pleasurable than the finest taste. Now let me ask you all this before we move on. Um, Is that your attitude toward God's Word? Jesus speaks of um, his, Him doing the will of His Father. That was His food. And He speaks that in His temptation with Satan in the wilderness that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you see this as food for your soul? Do you delight in this? Do you find holy pleasure in God's Word. David, the psalmist, is indicating that yes, the Word is desirable. Yes, the Word is pleasurable in the rightest sense. But notice, in addition to an effect of instilling the fear of the Lord, there is the effect of warning and reward. Look at with me in verse 11. Moreover, by them, by them, all of those titles referring to God's word. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Again, do we see the warnings of Scripture as God's kindness to us? I've got another warning light on my dashboard for low air pressure. I think that's my curse right now. It follows me wherever I go. I am a fool not to heed that warning. I need to check out and find out what's going on. And here David is saying the word warns. And the word offers its own reward because it's not merit. It's really wisdom. Think about the Proverbs. It's the wisdom of God's Word. It results in the assurance and growth of character. Indeed, some translations don't translate it uh, as reward as much as 
result in keeping them, in living according to them, in listening and believing and obeying, there is a great resort, a result. You are more and more conformed to the character of the law giver. Now thus far in Psalm 19, we've heard two voices speaking. General revelation or nature, creation, and special revelation, scripture. Yet now we come to a third voice, the voice of the psalmist who responds to the revelation of God both in the world and in the word. It's the voice of one who has come under the influence of the divine word. I appreciated the comment in one of the works that I uh, referenced and studied about being influenced, coming under the influence by the Word of God. Most of us have heard of driving under the influence, uh, driving while impaired. Are we living under the influence? Are we living with God's Word Influencing what we think about, how we speak, what we do. Here the psalmist is going to show us that most clearly he is living under the influence of the divine word. Because in verses 12 through 14, we see our response to God's revelation. First, there is a conviction of sin. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. As David meditates on the purity of the law and the purity of the Lord whom the law reveals, what happens? He is convicted of sin because the two-edged sword has penetrated. We read in Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13 this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Here is the sun arcing across the sky. Nothing is hidden. And nothing is hidden here from the all-seeing eye, as it were, of the Word. David, the psalmist, is convicted. And yet he offers a humble response. A humble response. Because the Word of God... As we say often, both reveals God in that it's like a window, but it also reveals ourselves like a mirror. It shows us we are sinners. Discernment is needed. One commentator says this, right in the middle of an unbelievably, I believe, theologically accurate sound commentary. He says this, I am simply not sharp enough to see and expose all my guilt once Realize this and you won't be plagued by the fantasy of perfectionism. The truth is you have no idea how sinful you are. That's the attitude of the psalmist. That's the attitude of David. That's the attitude of any person who's living under the influence of God's word. 
He is aware of hidden faults. I believe it's not hidden in the sense of deliberately being concealed, but rather you're unconscious of it. You don't know about it. It's done in ignorance. He is saying, um, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Sin I'm not even aware of. God, pronounce me innocent. But he also says, I'm aware of presumptuous and arrogant sins. And my friends, this connotates the idea of rebellion. I don't know if uh, you sometimes think of sin as just this, you know, missing the mark, falling short. But how about sin as rebellion? Uh, Those of you who are parents, I think you know what rebellion looks like. Kids, you got friends. I think you know what rebellion looks like. This presumptuous, arrogant sins, David is saying, keep back your servant also from these that I know about and these that I deliberately do. And oh Lord, please then keep me from them so that sin does not have dominion over me because unchecked sin will eventually overtake you and me. But Paul is clear in Romans as to the believer's relationship with sin. This is a bold prayer. He asks for a declaration of innocence and blamelessness as well as protection. The psalmist reflects on his own moral failures. He looks to the Lord for forgiveness and he seeks protection from sin's dominion. What is the response to the revealed Word of God seen in the world and in the Word itself? What is it? Repentance in order to be blameless and obedience in order to be acceptable. You see, he desires acceptance and he will acknowledge the Lord. Outward and inward cleanness is needed. Look at verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. He knows that he needs cleanness inwardly in the meditations of his heart and outwardly in the words that proceed out of his mouth. It's a comprehensive cleanness that he seeks. He hears the first two voices rightly, creation and the word, because he's in a right relationship with the Lord. He's the Lord's Lord's servant. And who does he declare the Lord to be? We see it at the end of 14. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, my strength, my my reliability. It, It goes back to Psalm 18 that we looked at where rock is present three times as a source of strength and refuge. But he ends with this word redeemer, a gracious rescuer. And all of Israel would know the idea of a redeemer. As Ruth and Naomi and Boaz knew about a kinsman redeemer, a a, a man who would come in to rescue, to protect, to redeem. The psalm ends not on a note of avoiding sin, but on that of offering back to God the mind's fitting response 
to God's own words as a pure sacrifice. Now the world, general revelation, and the word, special revelation, or the skies and the scriptures have been before us in Psalm 19. And we've heard three voices. We've heard the skies, the heavens, and the paradox where they speak, but they also don't speak. And we've heard the scriptures speak of their perfection. And we've just heard the sinner speak in prayer. We've seen both the broad sweep of God's wordless revelation in the universe and the clarity of His spoken and written revelation in His Word. Psalm 19 leans forward. As we've been saying, we see the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. You can't end this without getting to Jesus. Because there is another revelation. There's creation and the world around us. There is the written word before us. And there is Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. As Paul writes in Colossians. And in the letter to the Hebrews, we read these words long ago and at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Think about this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power in these final words the psalmist David calls God my redeemer how does he do that in view of his own sin how The first chapter of Hebrews continues by saying this, After making purification for sins, He, that is Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, my friends, this is the good news, that Jesus, though He was perfectly acceptable, He was perfectly acceptable. He didn't have to pray this prayer. Jesus, who was perfectly acceptable, was punished as one unacceptable. So that we, who are all unacceptable by sin, might be eternally accepted into God's presence forever. My friends, the psalmist ends where we need to end as well. Rejoicing that the Lord is our rock. He is our stability. He is our refuge. And He is our redeemer. He is our rescuer. He is the one who has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. My friends, rejoice in the revelation of God through all of creation. Through the written word of God. And supremely through the living Word of God, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You.
for this psalm, the words of which we just began to explore. I pray, Father, that all of us will throughout our life plumb the depths of your word here. And Father, may we all live under the beauty of your creation and live under the influence of your word as we rejoice that you have provided a redeemer for us in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.